They're a little too good at that, aren't they? <laughs> Let's be honest, some of you would like to shoot a video like that, wouldn't you? That'd be fun. I just want to say, uh, before we get into our sermon this morning and before we talk about what God wants to say to us about our hearts and about how we think about money, uh, I just want to say I'm so proud of this church. We hosted uh, a conference last weekend in a women's night uh, that was, in, it was spectacular. <laughs> and um, that, that just... That happens because there's a team of people that put that together, but that's not the only reason. Listen, we could do a lot of great stuff, but if people don't show up and invest their hearts and their lives in what God is doing, then we're just putting on a show. And here's why I'm so proud to, to be your pastor, why I'm so excited. It's that peop, the, the people of this congregation, the people of this church, are investing their hearts in God's purposes in their lives. And when that happens... Regions are shifted for God. And I want you to know that as your pastor, I'm just so proud to see men step into their calling and contend for what God has called them to. And as a pastor, I'm so excited to see women step into their calling and their purposes, not just in families, because that's part of it for us, but in this body and in the earth. And I'm just so excited to see how God's going to continue to use each one of you. Whether you're here or not, each one of us are stepping into what God has called us to. And I cannot wait to see the results of that. In our our homes, in this church, and in this region. And I just want want you to know as your pastor, I'm so proud of you for doing that. I want you to be encouraged by that. And here's what I want to say. I want you to expect more. Sometimes we do really incredible stuff with God, and God meets us in powerful ways, and we're like, hey, that was great, let's take a break. Right? How many feel like it's been like three, four weeks since last weekend? Like the living that you've done this, I don't know, maybe it's just me, the living you've done this week has been a lot of living. But here's what I want to encourage you with. God is not done with us. Everything that he has done in us is just the beginning And that's not that we have to work it up. It's just the expectation that God's going to keep doing incredible stuff in our hearts and our lives. And so I just want to encourage you to expect more. Some of you are with me. Some of you are like, yep, I want it. Some of us us are going to see it as we go. Sound good? All right. Growing up, I have a question for you. Growing up, how many of you had a kid in your neighborhood that was always trying to buy friends? How many of you were that kid? (laughs) Like, you always had the good candy, you, you always had the new toy, you always had the thing that was, you were trying to get people, like, attract people to you. Don't raise your hand if you're that person. How many of you did have somebody like that in your neighborhood, where, where they just didn't know how to be friendly in other ways, but it was their stuff that attracted you to them? Do you know that there's actually a website for people that don't know how to be friends or who don't have friends called rentafriend.com? No, literally, don't look it up on your smartphone while I'm, while I'm preaching, but there's literally an app or a, a website called rentafriend.com. And, and he, here's, here's how it's used mostly. Uh, I, I read some testimonies about it because I couldn't actually, testimonials about it because I couldn't believe there was this. So like some people who travel to other cities use this because when they go to a new city, they're like, I don't want to just go eat at Applebee's. Like, I want to see what's good in this city. 
How many of you think there's wisdom in that? Like, I'm going to rent a friend so I can see us. Here's what I think. I think if, if I signed up for rent a friend and I was the friend you rented, if you came to Buffalo, you would know the city really well if you rented me as a friend. You'd probably get saved. Thanks, Ben. How many, how many, how many of you know if we, all, if we all signed up for rent a friend, we could probably shift a region if people wanted to rent us as friends? Like, we're some, we're some friendly people. Uh, and uh, I'm not suggesting that you do this. <laughs> I'm, I don't know how this website works. They claim to not have any of that romantic stuff going on. Some people are just lonely. There's, there's one guy that says he doesn't like to eat alone. So whenever he travels to a new city, he rents a friend. Because, like, it's just sad to eat alone. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't find that very sad. In fact, that's a dream in my life. <laughs> to go to a restaurant all by myself, order whatever I want, appetizers that I don't have to share, a meal that I can actually eat while it's warm because nobody's asking to go to the bathroom right when the food is delivered. I'm, like you've been sitting there waiting for an hour for the food and all of a sudden, I've got to go to the bathroom. They just put the food in front of me. And then, and then and here's the, like a newspaper. I don't have to talk to anybody. Anyways, rent-a-friend is not my deal. But, but we all have these, these, this longing to be friends and this, this longing to be connected with people. And I think as, as sad as it is that we think about it, like somebody need, needing to buy their friends, or, or as sad as we think about it, having to have stuff, some people ha- needing stuff to attract people to them, Here's what I think is even sadder. I think it's even sadder when we allow ourselves and our time to be purchased by people. How many of you were that kid growing up? You knew the kid that wanted to buy friends, and so you were, you were always trying to get the stuff from that kid. You'd give him your attention if he had the stuff, but the minute the stuff ran out, you, you bounced. Here's the thing. I think that that kid who used his stuff to buy friends was actually onto something spiritually. I want to read a parable to you. It's kind of a strange parable. Uh, it's one that kind of struck me as awkward when I read it. And I think you're going to maybe see that too as we read it. But we're going to discover what Jesus has to teach us about buying friends and influence from this. First, I want to just kind of set the stage. If you are a guest with us, we're in a series called Cash Rules, where we're talking about the idea that by default, our money will try to rule us. If we don't address the desire for money to rule in our lives, it by default, will fi- we will find it ruling us. But by God's grace, we can choose to have money serve us and not serve money. And last time we talked about this, we looked at money, the idea that money and heart are connected. See, when we talk about money, we don't ta- we're not talking about a neutral thing. It can be a tool. It can become neutral to us. But it's not really neutral because the truth is this. Where our treasure is, our heart is also. And so our heart and our money are connected. How we use the resources that God has given us affects our heart. And our heart is affected by the resources that we have in our lives and how we use them and how we see them. And so I want to take a look at a parable this morning where Jesus taught about the resources that we have. And it's going to be a little bit strange. Here's the, here's the parable. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. And here's what Jesus says. It says in Luke chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and he said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. 
The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. And so the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. And here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they'll welcome you into an eternal home. And if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be entrusted with things of your own? Heavenly Father, as we look at this parable today, we pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart, the ears of our heart, that we would see and understand what you're saying by your Spirit to us. That you would even shift us and our mindsets to a kingdom mindset about resources in Jesus' name. Amen. Caught me as a little bit strange. Where Jesus said the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Oftentimes when we read parables and we read about a master or we read about a father or we read about a Lord, we, are, we, we, we tend to associate that with the Father, right? With God. And so if Jesus is illustrating a principle here, why would God, the master, be, be uh, impressed with somebody who was dishonest? How many of you that, that struck you as a little strange? Why is Jesus tell, you know, highlighting somebody who was dishonest and saying that there was something good in what they did? Let's look at this parable for a couple minutes and discover what Jesus has to teach us through it. But before we do that, just a couple of observations. First, Jesus is teaching this story or telling this story to his disciples. And we can't skip over that because we need to understand there is something in this for the people that are following Jesus. Oftentimes when Jesus taught, he was teaching the entire crowd. And certainly as he taught here, there was something in it for everybody. In other words, it wasn't just the disciples who were hearing it. There were also Pharisees that were there hearing it. There were many people that were hearing it, but when Jesus told this story, he was telling it to his disciples. In other words, he was not trying to make a point to teach people that weren't in his kingdom. He was trying to make a point to teach people that were in his kingdom. Does that make sense? So who's he speaking to this morning? He's speaking to those of us who have decided to follow Jesus. So if you've decided to follow Jesus, there's something in this for you. But understand this, there are also Pharisees that heard it. And here's the truth. You might even be a Pharisee. There are Pharisees among us today. Turn to your husband, turn to your wife, turn to the person next to you and say, you might be a Pharisee. Now see, if we've been around the church long enough, whenever we read about Pharisees in the gospel, we read about the bad guys, right? The Pharisees are the bad guys, often in the narrative, aren't they? How many of you liked being called a Pharisee by the person next to you just now? (laughs) Nobody did. Here's the thing, though. The Pharisees were actually among the believers after Jesus died and rose again and the church was launched. If you read in Acts chapter 15, there's a reference in verse 5 to to some Pharisees who were among the believers. 
Meaning this, when the church was launched, when Jesus was, 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 had, had died and had risen again and had launched his church on the day of Pentecost, and the church was growing in Jerusalem and all around, and, and it was started to expand as Jesus prophesied that it would, there were actually people who were still Pharisees who were among the believers. See, we, try, we tend to think of a dichotomy. There's believers and there's Pharisees. There's act, they, here's what the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were a religious group and also a political philosophy that decided that they were going to take God seriously. And so when we read about Pharisees, when they're interacting with Jesus, or we read about Pharisees in the, in, uh, existing in the church, we're reading about people that were actually very, very religious. They were very spiritual. They were very involved, and they believed all of God's Word. And they took it seriously. And they can be contrasted to other groups that didn't believe in angels, that didn't believe in spirits, that didn't believe in the afterlife. When we're reading about Pharisees, we're actually reading about the sect that's most closely aligned with the beliefs that you and I have about who God is and what He's created us for. But we're also reading about a, a group of people that added a bunch of their own stuff to what God had to say. And so here's the truth. Many of us in this room today are walking around with the ideas of Pharisees where we, we really do believe who God is. We believe in all the things that God has to say in His Word, but we also add a bunch of extra rules to our understanding of God. And so there may be some Pharisees sitting among us today. Uh, and the tr- What's interesting, though, is this. Do you know that at the height of their power, people estimate there were only about 6,000 Pharisees? So they they were like the best of the best. They weren't the common people that were just Jewish people following God. They were like the heightened religious people. And here's the thing. They were always vying for power. They were always vying for authority. They were vying for their ideas to be the ideas that everybody had to live with within the kingdom of God. And if there's only 6,000 of them, think about this. When the the church was launched on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people, in addition to those who were in the upper room, came to Jesus. A little while later, as, as uh, the, the, the lame man was healed at the temple, that day we had record 2,000 people coming to Jesus. So right away, when the church is launched, you already, you already have this, this vying for the ideas of what, what, what we're going to see as the ones that win within the kingdom of God between this sect called the Pharisees and the people of God. And so understand this, God is talking to each one of us today, and He wants to speak to our hearts but the truth is this, some of us might, have, might be getting this wrong. How many of you that's really good news for you? You're like, I love getting things wrong. How about some good news? The context of this story that Jesus is telling is very important to us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to lead us off and it's going to end us th- t- today. So if you look, look at Luke chapter 15, at the end of the chapter, Jesus actually tells the parable of the lost son. We also know it as the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, we know that the context is important because in Luke chapter 16, Jesus uses similar language to Luke chapter 15. He says this, there was a certain manager, or sorry, a certain rich man who had a manager handling his fare, and one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Other versions say squandered his money. That's the same language that Jesus used in chapter 15 of Luke in verse 13 and verse 30, when describing the, the prodigal son. The Bible says, Jesus said, that the prodigal son squandered his father's riches. Or when the prodigal son's brother is describing 
his brother's activities. He said, your son squandered our money, wasted the family's money on wild living and on prostitutes. How many of you know, when you waste God's resources on wild living and prostitutes, you are missing the point. But here's the good news. Jesus is telling us this story because sometimes as sons and daughters of the king or even as managers in the kingdom, we find ourselves missing it. Both sons and the prodigal son missed it, right? They didn't understand their father's resources. What I find incredibly interesting is at the, at the end of the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son, who is still missing it at the end? It wasn't the son that took the riches and ran away and squandered it. It was the older son who was outside the home, who wasn't with the father, who didn't know how to interact with his dad and was outside of the celebration. And again, some of us would look at that and say, that's really bad news. But here's the great news for you this morning and for me this morning. We have a dad who is incredibly kind. We have a dad who's incredibly merciful. We have a dad who is after our hearts first. You and I can have hope this morning that if we come into this place and we find that our hearts are somehow connected to the Pharisees' hearts, if we find that somehow our hearts have been intermixed in terms of resources, if we find ourselves missing it like the prodigal son, or we find ourselves missing it like the older brother, we have a God that is after our hearts first. And He's here to meet us. And not just to challenge us and say, hey, you're getting it wrong. He's here to meet us and challenge us and invite us into His heart. Listen, here's the thing. God will address our behavior because He's just. If you're here living in wildness or wasting the Father's resources, He will address your behavior, but He wants your heart first because He's merciful and generous with us. So take hope. Another thing, just an observation as we're getting into this, Jesus said that the master had to admire the dishonest servant. This is what struck me as a little bit awkward. He said here in the the version that we're reading, he had to admire the shrewdness of the dishonest rascal. I'm teaching my three-year-old. We're reading a book, and in it, the, the word rascal is being used. And she's loving that word. How many of you admire the rascaliness of people sometimes. I remember having a conversation with a student once who had transitioned into adulthood. And I'm trying to protect the guilty in this conversation. And um, this student was describing um, a illicit drug operation that they had they're growing marijuana on their parents roof (laughs) and this 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 student described how they had acquired all the necessary materials and had found a good spot on the roof that was hidden from everywhere else in the neighborhood and had 
work this whole system to grow something illegal. Now listen very carefully to me. I'm not condoning this behavior. But I remember sitting there listening to this story going, there's something going on here that I really like. (laughs) The entrepreneurialship and the ingenuity and the drive and determination is something to be admired. Now, what was being grown was not. (laughs) Are we all clear about this? Maybe we shouldn't publish this one on the web. Jesus said that the master admired the shrewdness. Now, sometimes we look at that word and we're like, okay, he was shrewd. But do you know other versions actually say the wisdom or the wise wise nature of this servant? In fact, Jesus said, it is true that the children of of the world are more shrewd or more wise in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Children of the world are more shrewd. Could it be Could it be that the mindsets and the heart inclinations of the children of God, those living in the light, might need shifting? Could it be this morning that we have spent so much time around a religious organization that we are missing what God is saying to us because of our own traditions? Could it be that... that, There's actually some worldly wisdom that we could benefit from if we would just stop being so holy all the time. And when I say holy, I don't mean really holy and set apart. I mean holy like religious. So can we allow the Lord to challenge what we think about resources this morning by illustrating what we might not think of as a very holy thing to shift us into a mindset that reflects God around our resources? Does that sound okay? Here's the good news. Listen, Jesus does not want us to miss this. And the really good news is this. Jesus is very good at making sure we don't miss things. He's very, very... Some of you didn't, didn't catch that. How many of you feel like you've missed it in the past? On anything? How many of you have seen the goodness of God and per, continue to pursue us to make sure that we catch it? And so this morning, I think God is going to pursue our hearts for just the next few minutes to help us catch... And so listen, if you came into this place with an open heart this morning, the great news is you're, God's going God's to give you something. But here's what I also know. You might have come into this place with a really closed up heart. You might have a smile on your face right now, but you're like, your arms are crossed on the inside. And you're like, yeah, Pastor Josh, go ahead. Come on. Listen, I trust that God's going to come after our hearts today. And even when our hearts are really closed off, he's good at getting at them. And so let's look at this parable for just a couple minutes and let's see what Jesus has to say. Here's what I love. Sometimes when things are confusing, Jesus just makes it really plain. And I love that that, that's exactly what he does with this parable. He tells this story and then he says, for those of us who are like me, here's the lesson you need to learn. How many of you love that kind of teaching? Like when the professor says, hey listen, like we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, but here's the stuff you need to know for the test. That's what Jesus is doing for us today. How many of you have talked to your children for like an hour on end? You're just trying to drive a lesson home. You're like, all right, what am I telling you? And they they repeat back something, but it's not what you told them. And you're like, and you just, you, you realize you just talk too much. 
And you just boil it down to one sentence. Here's the lesson I need you to learn, right? That's what Jesus does for us. And here's what he says. We're going to read it again. Luke 16, 9 through 13. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to eternal home. If you are faithful with little things, you'll be faithful with large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Let's talk about it for just a couple minutes. First, worldly resources, verse 9. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Be the kid on the block that buys your friends. The worldly resources that God has given us are simply tools. Everything we own is an opportunity to influence the kingdom. The things that you have been given are not to spend on yourself. The things that we've been given are meant to spend on other people. Jesus literally says, buy influence and friends for the kingdom. If you look at chapter 15 again, the parable of the lost son, Jesus illustrates this when, he's taught, when the father is outside talking to the older son. At the end of this parable, if, just to review, Younger son tells the dad, give me my inheritance now. He goes and he blows it all. He says, I'm going to come back to the dad. The dad is waiting for him the whole time. We learned last week that he had actually started to prepare the fatted calf for his son's return. And when his son returns, he hugs on his neck. He says, put a robe on him. Put a ring on him. Put sandals on him. Let's have a party with this fatted calf. Let's have a good time. You know he's talking about barbecue, by the way, right? Just want to make that clear. He says, let's, 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 have a, let's have a real good time and celebrate. Because my son was lost and now he's found. He didn't get it. And now he gets it. He didn't understand that the resources that I had given him were his all along to use. And even though he blew it, I'm bringing him back in and he gets all the benefit of the resources of being part of this family. And that was great for the younger son, but it was not so great for the older son. And the older son was really upset, and he's outside the house, and he's pouting as this party is going on. And his dad comes to him, and he's like, listen, like, what is going on? The father came out and begged him to come in. Verse 29, but he replied, all these years I slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all the time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And then when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. What does the father say to the oldest son? He says, everything, you need to understand, everything that I have has always been yours all along. In other words, the resources that the son thought he did not have access to, he had access to all the way along. What prevented him from having access to it? What prevented him from having access is the same thing that prevents us from having access. It's the mindset that we somehow earned something from God. When we think that we, through our own righteousness, through our own good stewardship or management, have somehow 
got something in our pockets, got something in our bank account, have a house that we have that somehow we deserve, that God has said, I've given this to you because you're more special than the other people who don't have this. That actually literally limits us from accessing all the resources of heaven for what God has given us. It keeps us from celebrating the, the, the kingdom of God among us, and it keeps us from celebrating the kingdom of God and the things that God has given us. Our mindsets of earning keeps us from accessing the kingdom. So what do we, what do we have? What are the resources of the kingdom? First, the resources are spiritual, not even physical. It's grace and mercy. But it is also resources and favor and celebration. God tells us to use these worldly resources now to affect the kingdom. Why? Because someday they're going to be gone. Right? There is a shelf life on the resources that we have. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm going to tell a story that's really embarrassing for me. Can we just keep it between us? All right, great. You'll think about it. Thanks. Uh, When Lori and I first got married, this is embarrassing for me, not for you. Just so you can relax. When Lori and I first got married, uh, we took our honeymoon, uh, and then the very next year, we had a vacation, and my wife said some of the most magical words she could ever say to me, because she knows my love for history. She says, Josh, why don't we do our first vacation in Gettysburg? Now, you got to understand, Gettysburg is a magical place to a history buff. Like, I spent lots of time as a little kid running around with the little hat on and the little gun saving up my money so I could buy real swords. I mean, like this was, this, was, this was like Mecca to me. And she said, let's go to Gettysburg. And she was so gracious to like let me drag her around these battlefields. And like, <laughs> she's like, yes, I was gracious. <laughs> and to like shop in all the shops. You know what I'm saying? And look at all the things. Like for, for somebody who doesn't love battlefields, what's another battlefield? It's trees and grass. Wax museums. She went to wax museums with me. She loves me, guys. She loves me. Now, that's not the embarrassing part. Here's the embarrassing part. I also, uh, or we went into one store, and I found something that I really had to have. Like, have you ever, have you ever done that? And here's what it was. It was a, a, a model replica black powder rifle. And when I say model replica, like, in my mind at that moment, it looked really good. It's not a very good model replica. And all I could think about is this would look really good on my shelf, and when, when I do historical reenacting, this, this is going to do it for me. And so I had to have it. And I think we looked at it like two or three times. In fact, I don't think we, if, I, if I'm remembering right, I don't think I bought it right then. I think we came, we, we did our vacation, we went to Buffalo, and then we came back. And no, no, she didn't. She gave me money towards it, yeah, so. Uh, this is really embarrassing. So, <laughs> so we, we left Gettysburg, we came up to Buffalo, and uh, Gettysburg happened to be on the way home to where we lived in Virginia. And so, like, I wanted this thing so bad, I thought about it the entire time I was in Buffalo, I actually stopped in Gettysburg on the way back to Virginia to buy that replica rifle. And my wife was like, this is ridiculous. She's very kind. But she was like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, babe, this is it. If I get this thing, 
I'm not going to need another gun. Like, this will, you know, I can display this. It'll, it'll be, it's exactly what I want. How many of you know within a year, I needed a, a real gun? You're all, you're all nodding your head because you've all been there with me, right? Like, I, I get gun lust. I don't know what you get, but you, you got it too. We, this is how it works with people. I had to have something else, and it didn't cut anymore. And my wife loves me so, not, so much and is gracious so much that she gave me money for an actual real gun after that. After I told her, I, don't need, I won't need it. I won't need another gun. I won't need to spend money on another one. This is, like, she actually sewed into my discontentment with what I had bought already to get me another gun. What that illustrates, though, is this. We, there's a shelf life, literally, on the stuff that we buy. The very most favoritest thing that you have ever purchased probably does not hold the same weight as right before you purchased it. Right? The car you had to have has ro- rust holes in it now because we live in Buffalo, New York. Right? Or whatever it is that you just had to lay your hands on. The worldly resources that we have have a shelf life literally for right now, but also for eternity. You cannot take anything with you. What if you win a gold medal? Great. When you die, they can bury you with it, but it's not going with you anywhere else. Right? Even the most glorious things that we can think of as resources, God has given them to us, but they are finite in the uh, amount of time that they're going to actually do something for us. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus said this, Don't store up treasures on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. See, there is, there is stuff that we can invest in that's going to last. And the truth is this, if we're not doing so well with it, we can lead our hearts in this. Matthew 6.21, wherever your treasure is, their desires of your heart will be also. So let's start investing our treasure in leading our hearts. God is calling us to use the worldly resources for his kingdom. Second, they'll welcome us into eternal home. Verse 9, that word eternal home literally means the beginning of creation tent. Let me explain. When God says they're going to welcome you into the eternal home, he says beginning of creation tent. In other words, from the very beginning of creation, we have had a purpose in our lives. And the purpose in our lives is to be in connection with God, in fellowship with God. That tent, it refers to a tabernacle or a place of meeting. God says that how we use our worldly resources matters to how we're going to spend eternity. It matters to how we are going to enter into the purposes that God has for us on this earth and for eternity And the purpose is to be with God. The resources that we have actually make a difference to eternity. As much as they have a shelf life, you can invest them in ways that are going to make a difference for your eternity and for people around you's eternity. So we need to stop thinking about the the, the money that's in our pocket right now as just meeting a need for us in the immediate or meeting the need for someone else in the immediate. We need to think about the money that God has given us or the time that God has given us or the homes that God has given us or whatever we have that's around us as affecting our eternity and the eternity of people around us. Affecting the eternal purposes that God has for them in this life and the life that he's called us to. We need to shift our focus away from just be having enough or just investing in the thing that gives us pleasure and shifting our focus, everything that he's given us being shifted towards an eternal purpose. How would we change how we use our resources and how we decide to use our resources if we actually believe that it affected eternity? 
And now, I could get on a soapbox here, and I could talk about how we spend our money at Tim Hortons. Some of you are like, put the cup away. Listen, but I don't want to do that. Because sometimes when we start to define those things, we start to to go, okay, that's, that's someone else's issue. Oh, he didn't talk about my issue. We're good to go. Listen, every single one of us has some resources, whether we think we do or not. And God's called us to use whatever those resources are, not just to affect in the next 10 minutes how we're going to feel, but to affect the eternity that he's called us to and the eternity of those around us. We can use them to buy influence for people. And here's the deal. When we're talking about faith, little decisions have large effect. With faith, little equals big. Verse 10, if you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. How we handle our money oftentimes is a very small decision. But it's not supposed to be that way forever. God has designed the small decisions to lead to huge consequences. God has designed for the small decisions we make to grow into more responsibility. See, God is looking to bring more into our lives. How many of you would like more resources? How do we get that? By believing in faith and being faithful with the small things that he's given us. That's why you don't start your kids on a $100 a week allowance. If you do, come and talk to me and I will help you figure that out. I can tell you a much better place to sow that allowance into. But we do start with a little bit. And when we're faithful with a little bit, we give our children more, right? Same thing with God. When we are faithful with the small things that he gives us, he gives us more. The truth is this. We should expect more in our lives. All of us have something to manage. If you are here this morning, alive and breathing and semi-coherent, then you have something to manage. And as we manage what he's given us, by faith, when we're faithful with it, God will give us more. And the truth is this, honesty paves the way. Honesty paves the way. If you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. Some of us think the way that we spend our money, nobody really pays attention to. Or it doesn't really matter to squander this here or that here. But the truth is this, God sees it all. And it matters to his kingdom. And, the, and, and we don't start by being honest with him. We start by being honest with ourselves. Because he already knows it all anyway. So when we look at these things, let's look at them as worldly wealth leading to true riches. He says, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? See, how we handle the resources that he's given us for this world is an illustration or a microcosm of how we're going to handle world, uh, kingdom wealth or heavenly wealth. There's true riches in heaven. 
Some of us have, are longing to see the kingdom of heaven break out in our lives. We want to see salvation in our homes. We want to see healing in our communities. We want to see revival come to our workplace and to our schools. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit exploding in our lives. But the truth is this. If we continue to squander worldly resources, the, the true riches of heaven will not be given to us in our lives. Like, you cannot bypass this. And we do this all the time as believers. Oh, let's not talk about money. Oh, the church talks about money too much. Jesus says we've got to talk about how we look at our worldly resources because it's a reflection in our hearts of how we're going to handle the true kingdom resources. And if we can't do it with the real practical stuff that's in front of us, how are we going to handle the other stuff and the kingdom wealth? Because the truth is this, and we're getting ready to close if the worship team can come. Jesus says, if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? The bottom line is this. Everything that we have is his. Every resource that we've been given in our lives actually belongs to somebody else. You and I are managing his world. You and I are managing his resources. You and I are managers in his kingdom. And here's, here, here's something incredible about that. If we're managers in his kingdom, we have access to all the resources of heaven. Worldly resources, the true riches of heaven, doesn't belong to us. But we have access to all of it. Think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. Everything that he owns all of his worldly resources, all of his kingdom resources, all of his heavenly wealth, all of the true riches of heaven belong to God. And you and I have been called into partnership with him to manage them. That's a spectacular thing. He doesn't say, hey, hey, listen, I'm going to give it all to you right now, and you better get it right. In fact, from the parable of the lost son, getting a large amount before you're ready for it usually results in failure. But here's what he says. I'm going to give you a little bit right now. Handle it well, we'll give you more. Give you a little bit more, handle it well, we'll give you more. God in his goodness will continue to increase what he's given to us. But the truth is, we have access to all of it. You and I can get it all. If we will see it as his. See, how we handle this matters. I told you the context of this 
story matters. Look at the very next story that Jesus tells. Verse 19 of chapter 16, he says, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. This person had all the resources of life. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. In other words, this man lived in luxury and somebody lived in poverty next to him and they never crossed over. There was no intentionality for the rich man to use his worldly resources to affect someone else's life here. He wasn't even worried about just taking care of his needs and he wasn't worried about winning friends and winning influence. This man had nothing to offer him. He did not see the wealth that he has as useful And so in verse 22, it says, Finally the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. In other words, the way they handled their resources, the way they saw the kingdom, affected their eternity. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish here in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's being comforted and you're in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us and no one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. And I want you to see the response of the rich man. The rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. And the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen, even if someone raises from the dead. See, Jesus is telling this story about the rich man and about Lazarus in response to the Pharisees' response to his story. The temptation for us is to skip over this. The Pharisees scoffed at what Jesus had to say about the shrewd manager because they didn't understand. It didn't fit their mindset. They thought they had it together. They thought they spiritually understood money. They thought they understood what it mean, meant to use their resources for the purposes of God and they had completely missed it. And so they were saying, Jesus, you're coming and you're teaching us new things. And Jesus says, actually, no, I'm not teaching you new things. He says, I'm talking about how God has always viewed this. He says, you can't get rid of God's word. It's eternal. Jesus is saying, this is an eternal principle from time immemorial. That the resources that he's given us, he's given us to affect eternity in others. So I don't know how you have come to this this morning. I don't know if this is encouragement to you or challenge to you or both. I don't know if this is convicting to you or confirming of what God has said to you. But here's what I know. Each one of us has the opportunity in God's presence to be shifted this morning in a good way. And so here's how I want us to respond. Would you just close your eyes? And just talk to God for a minute. 
Can we just start by agreeing with him that everything we have is his? And let's just rest in that. Let's just settle that this morning. But then let's do this. Let's not wait to act on it. And here's the freedom that Jesus gives us. He gives us the freedom to be faithful in a little bit and expect it to grow. So as you're here this morning, I want to encourage you in your own heart, look at the resources. Ask God, what have you put in my hands? What have you given me today? What's in, what's in the resource bucket of our house, our house, our home? What's in our wallet? What's in our refrigerator? What's in our cupboard? What's in our basement? What's in our driveway? What's in our checkbook? What's in our calendar? And let's just start small this morning. Let's literally make a decision seeing what's in our hands and let's make a plan to use it. Not like, oh, I'm going to. Let's literally say, God, what's in my hand? And when he shows you something, ask him, what do you want me to do with it today? For some of us, it's going to be to start believing him and tithing. God says, start with the 10%. For some of us, it's going to be, hey, we've got that down, but there's a neighbor that needs X, Y, and Z, and here's how we're going to use our resources to affect them. For some of us, it might be, hey, we know that there's missions partners all around the world that are in need of funds, and we're going to give to that. For some of us, it's a person next to us. We know what they need. For some of us, it's going to be, hey, there's somebody at work that needs Jesus desperately, and I'm going to, I'm going to offer to buy them lunch this week. Listen, that's a good one to start with because you get lunch too. <laughs> but whatever it is, I want to encourage you to be bold in it and take that step. The worship team is going to play for a minute. I want you to take a minute. You might need to talk to your spouse. Hey, what's in our hands? What can we do? But let's make a commitment today to see the resources that God has given us as influential for his kingdom because he owns it all. Worship team, would you lead us for a minute? wrestling with us, God, and just coming after our hearts, Lord, and sometimes you just drive us to that place of just having to face and reevaluate everything in our lives and just to look at it, and you just, you just, you just dominate our souls, Lord, and then we look at you, and we just weep, and we cry, and we just, we just thank you because when we look at you, Lord, the, the things of this earth, they grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. <laughs> and we just thank you, Lord, for wrestling with us and putting us in this place this morning as a church to say, what's in our hand? What, what resources do we have? What, what time do we have? What talent do we have? And how can we invest that in your kingdom, God? Because we believe revival is coming. Father, give us courage to take that next step, whatever it may be, Lord. And to respond with courage, Lord, to your generosity for our lives. 
we believe that we are a wealthy people because uh, we have the gospel, we have Jesus Christ, <laughs> and we have all the riches of this world. So we just thank you, Father, for what you've given us and help us to invest it back in what you're doing. We're so excited for what's going on. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, come on, somebody. Let's give the Lord a hand for Pastor Josh this morning. What a word. So much wisdom. God is really moving in this church and in this region. And I just encourage you to just invest in it. Whatever. I know every single one of us have heard from the Lord this morning. So just respond with courage. Leaders respond with courage. And uh, take that step, whatever it may be, uh, to invest in what God's doing in your life. Well, hey, the ushers are in the back for your giving. Um, if you're a guest, there's no obligation to give. But if God did something great in your life today and you want to respond, do so as the Lord leads. Uh, giving options are up on the screen. If you're a guest, make sure you visit Guest Central in the lobby. Uh, we have a free gift for you. We just want to honor you. Thanks for doing life with us this morning. We'd love to share more about what God's doing at this church with you. Small groups. Uh, check the website so it's not too late to register for the rest of the year. Make sure you get in a small group. Thanksgiving Eve service. Pull out the calendars. Wednesday, November 27th at 7 p.m. with dessert together after. So, hey, let's all just get a head start on the excessive calorie consumption and have dessert Wednesday night so we can just kind of wet the palate for Thursday. Amen. Hallelujah. God is the God of abundance. Amen. Okay. Hey, if God is moving in your life and you need prayer, uh, our prayer team's available on either side of the altar. Make sure you stay and do your business with the Lord because he's good and he wants to do something great in your life. Amen? Hey, have a great week, everyone. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Go Bills.